Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Good day to you. Welcome to Private Club Radio, episode number 84. Happy to be here with you once again, and I've got a great lineup for you. We'll be chatting with Kevin Vitali, the general manager of Baltusrol. We'll be talking about the National Club Association and his time as the board chair of the NCA. And we'll be asking him a little bit about what it's like when a major championship comes to your club. But before that, our featured guest is Martin Cody of Cellar Angels. We'll be talking about trends in wine and learning more about what Cellar Angels can do for your members and for your club. And at the end of that, he's got a special offer which you'll want to take advantage of. Now, what a great tournament we just had yesterday. We just had the PGA Championship at Quail Hollow. And congratulations to Justin Thomas for winning that event. I had the pleasure of visiting that club last year. I presented to the Professional Club Marketing Association of the Charlotte chapter. And we talked about digital marketing and that actually spawned a larger talk that I'll be giving at the PCMA national conference here in Nashville coming up at the end of September called the digital marketing bootcamp. So if you are a membership director or a general manager, invite you to come out and take that one day course. It's on Sunday, the 24th of September. And there's more details at askpcma.org. Now, before I bring Martin on, I have a request of you. A lot of you know that I was in a documentary film here, shot here in Tampa. It was shot around the country. It was shot even around the world, in fact. They went to Puerto Rico. They went to El Salvador. They spoke with podcasters in all sorts of genres, and Private Club Radio was one that they wanted to highlight because this show is so niched. It's so specific. And so they thought that was a really interesting story to tell. And I'm so delighted that I actually made the cut because they spoke with hundreds of podcasters around the country and 20 or 30 of us actually made the film. And that film is launching on iTunes. And right now they're in the pre-order phase. And what happens during the pre-order phase is you want to get people to pre-order the film so that on launch day, all those purchases aggregate and the film becomes the number one film. It's kind of like hitting the New York Times bestseller list. And it's really important to do that because that's when you get the attention of Netflix and some of these other distribution avenues so that the film can actually reach more and more people. Right now, the pre-order is $5.99 on iTunes. And they set it so low, which is the minimum purchase price on iTunes for a movie, because it's not really about making money. This film hasn't been about making money. It's about making an impact. It's about empowering people around the country and around the world to let them know that they have a message that's important for other people to hear. Podcasting is a platform that's really inexpensive to get started with. I started this on zero budget, basically. It was just my time that I was putting into the show. Since then, I've spent some money. But uh, when it first began, it was just a labor of love and there was no budget for it. And this is a great platform for people to reach people all across the country, all across the world with a message that's important for them to hear. And by supporting this film, you'll be spreading that message to other people who will start podcasts, who will help change the lives of other people around the world. I know a guy on the film who started the Cancer Radio Network, and he's helping survivors across the world 
cope with having cancer and getting the help and treatment they need. There are podcasters doing amazing things. And by supporting this film, you'll be supporting the podcasting platform and you'll be helping people around the world. So I ask you to take just a couple minutes of your day today. Go over to iTunes and pre-order the film. You'll help it get to number one. You'll help that get it in front of the eyes of so many more people out there that need to see this, that need to build a platform to reach other people and help other people. If you can do that for me, I've got hard copy DVDs because maybe you don't like to watch it on iTunes. I will send you a DVD. I will mail it to you at my expense uh, just as a thank you for doing that. So if you do pre-order the film, just let me know and I'll send you off a hard copy of the film. It just go over to iTunes, search for Messengers Doc. That's the easiest way to do it. You'll see it pop right up. It's kind of black and white cover and with a microphone on it and some waves or something. Messengers Doc, just search for that. You'll find it. I appreciate it so much. Without further ado, let's bring on our featured guest. My guest today is Martin Cody. He has extensive entrepreneurial experience founding three different companies dealing with retail, wine, real estate, holding, and land management. Martin has extensive national wine industry contacts and leverages his experience as a former brick and mortar wine store owner and those relationships to accelerate growth of his newest venture, Seller Angels. It's an online fine wine curator specializing in Napa and Sonoma boutique wineries. He is active in children's charitable causes with his wife, and he has founded Seller Angels to further those efforts. Martin, welcome to Private Club Radio. Gabe, fantastic to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Very exciting. Well, first thing I want to start off with is you were just featured in Wine Enthusiasts. So tell folks a little bit about that and what you guys are doing. I thought that was really exciting. Uh, it was very exciting. Thanks so much for the mention there. That actually came about as a result of social media, which I had long since, for a while scorned because I have a lot of gray hair and wasn't certain that social media was worth it. But that came about with really... Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, people finding out about what Seller Angels does and has been doing for a couple of years because as a fine wine curator, we feature wines direct from Napa and Sonoma that are the private higher-end boutique wines, but a portion of every single transaction goes to a charity the consumer picks. So wine enthusiasts got wind of that and they put together a an article and profile of six companies that they think they called it liquid philanthropy and companies that are doing good in the beverage business, but also giving back at the same time. And so for us, it's been part of our mission and DNA for the last seven years that every single transaction benefits a charity. The consumer gets to select it from a drop-down list. And we're really kind of fun when you can buy great wines and also impact someone's life and, and make a difference. So we're, we're thrilled with the mention. Yeah. And I love, when, I love to see when, when good folks are, are, are being you know, given the... Uh given the the publicity that they that they do deserve for doing the right thing so that was really cool to see um i'm here to talk to you today about you know not only wine but actually making a lasting impression on people uh our country clubs that we're designed to to make those lifelong lasting impressions and relationships can you tell me a little bit about how that plays out for you sure and i think there's First of all, country clubs or golf in particular and wine are, are two of my absolute favorite topics. I love them both with a passion. And and there's a lot of parallels between country club and, and wine, specifically golf and wine. And you look at there's there's lasting impressions that you can get from playing what I would refer to as cult courses, courses that are so revered that they're on people's bucket list. And whether that's Augusta, Pebble, Medina, Pine Valley, you have similar things in 
wine. You have cult wines, specifically out of Napa, Scarecrow, Bond, Screaming Eagle, Colgin, some of those no one will ever possess or no one or fewer people will even have the opportunity to drink. So if you are not one of those clubs, you have to separate yourself. And the way to do that is by creating a lasting impression. And I have three simple rules with regards to that. It, it's, the first one is care more than anyone. So caring about your members and Cellar Angels is a membership club. There's no fee to join, but we refer to them as our angels. So we, we have to care more than anyone because we know there's other places that we think they can secure fine wine. So we've got to care more than anyone. And the second one is listen to the members, listen to what they want, listen to their needs, anticipate some of their needs. The third one is probably the hardest one. And that's the consistency where you have to do it right every single day. So at a private club that many of your listeners are GMs of and, and either work for, those members are paying for that. So they, they want to have a lasting impression. And I know you, you had the opportunity recently to go out to California and play the Riviera Club. And I found it fascinating that you said it was an absolutely amazing experience. Yep. And, and that's, that's exactly what a lasting impression is. It's an amazing experience. And so we have to, in our business of food and service and, and private clubs, we have to just work harder at making certain that experience is delivered. And going to a private club for dinner is much different than going to a restaurant for dinner. And I don't care what the restaurant is. It could be a top 10. But at the private club, that person should know your name. They should know your tendencies for dining. They should know your table preferences. They should know everything about what you're going to order off the wine list. Those sorts of lasting impressions take time to nurture and they take time to learn. But the only way you're going to do that is by, as I mentioned in the first point, caring more than anyone. And over time, those lasting impressions will help sell more memberships because of the experience than the marketing group at the club. Oh, that's very well said. That's very well said. I want to ask you, Martin, about some of the trends that are happening in the wine industry. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on? Sure. It, it's, it's fascinating to kind of see there's a global perspective in wine referred to as old world and new world. And the old world is essentially Spain, Germany, France, Italy, and the new world are all the other countries that are producing wine. But as it relates to new world wines here in the United States, food and wine are inextricably linked. And the farm-to-table movement that has been happening in food is now hitting the wine industry, and it's hitting it pretty hard. People want to know where their wine is coming from, who's making it, what's the story behind the wine, and they're increasingly interested, from what we've seen in the statistics, in low-production wine. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can go out and buy uh, a two-buck Chuck or a Mayomi or a Kim Crawford where not many people know that Kim Crawford makes 385,000 cases of Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, Charles Shaw makes 16 million cases of two-buck chuck, which I think now is three-buck chuck. <laughs> yeah, I think but it is three, yeah. It, it's very difficult to find a unique experience in that. And people are just kind of gravitating to say, okay, uh, not too dissimilar to some golf courses. We don't have the opportunity to play Augusta. But there are literally over, I think, 50 to 75 Alistair McKenzie courses that you can play. Right. And it's that same way in wine. People are moving. The trend is, is finding out, okay, I may not be able to buy a scarecrow, but I know the winemaker or I know the vineyard source. So what can I do to find wines that are actually coming from that exact same vineyard that aren't $1,000 a bottle, that are actually $75 a bottle? So there's 9,000 wineries in the US. And, and we specialize in Napa and Sonoma, which has about 1,500 combined. Many of those wineries don't have distribution outside of California. So 
people don't know about them unless they are actually in Napa or Sonoma. And interesting statistics, 92% of wine consumed in the U.S. comes from California, but of that 92%, only five comes from Napa and Sonoma. Wow. So it's really kind of a shockingly small number, but those are all the small mom and pop producers that, that, you know, when you travel to Napa and Sonoma, and my guess is many of your members have, especially the, the wine enthusiasts among them, they encounter this firsthand the minute they find that off the beaten path winery, fall in love with that Cabernet Sauvignon that they happen to be tasting in the barrel room or in the person's living room. And they ask, well, can I get this in Florida? Can I get this in, in California or Vegas or New York? And the answer is no, we don't have distribution. Well, mm-hmm. well how do you not have distribution? This is an amazing wine. Well, we only made 150 cases of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and you talk about, it's funny, I'm a big believer in scarcity drives behavior and demand. Mm-hmm. And this is what's starting to come for the wine industry. The smaller production places are really starting to garner attention, very similar to getting your fresh produce at a farmer's market. Yeah. You, you I, I think millennials too got to be driving this because we know that that generation is the one drinking more wine than any other generation, which is, I, when I saw that, I thought that was shocking. Uh, but then that's their whole, the mindset is ex- is exclusivity once in a lifetime, something that's hard to get. And I think that goes really hand in hand with what you're saying right here. It is. And, and they are starting to drive a little bit of that demand. And they're, and they're looking for, and they're also backing up a second, they're huge into philanthropy. They yeah. like cause-based movements. And so what we do happens to run parallel to that. And we started it seven or eight years ago, but not specifically for the millennial market because the, the knock on them, I'm not certain it's still true, is that they have no money. Right. They're living at their parents' <laughs> house type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they are going to be the largest consumers of just about every business product there is in a very short period of time. And you're right. They are driving some of this consumption. Yeah. I think the second big trend you're seeing in wine, in addition to the, to the lower production wineries, is the invasion of rosé, which okay. is, is something we love. And I don't see this trend slowing down. And you're seeing great rosés being made from uh, not just Pinot Noir, but Zinfandel, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah. And it's just the, the pink wine is by no means the white Zinfandel from the 70s and 80s. So, <laughs> okay. uh-huh. so rather it makes it different. What are they doing now that makes it different, Martin? It's not the sweet wine that I think white Zin had. Yeah. And it, it's made in a lot of it, the higher end ones are made in a Provencal style from Provence, France. And the, the grape spends a little, or the juice spends a little bit of time on the skin. And I don't want to get too technical, just to impart enough pink flavor that it's not red wine. And it's just made from higher quality grapes. Mm-hmm. And so you can sit out on the patio when it's 85 degrees out there and have a very refreshing glass of rosé wine. We actually have a technical term for it. We refer to those as patio pounders. So nice. Can- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love that in Florida. We have a 95 degree, 100% humidity days going on right now. And that sounds quite, quite tempting. It is absolutely delicious. So I think the, the movement to quality and, and small production and also the rosé proliferation are two trends that show no signs of slowing down. Yeah, I, oh, I bet. Um, how about the internet? How has that changed things uh, with the direct-to-consumer model and what have you? It's been pretty fascinating. The, the laws of the alcohol industry really haven't changed that much since Prohibition. So back then when there was about seven wineries from Christian Brothers and, and some of the bigger ones, the laws were, were very suitable. Now when you have 9,000 wineries in the United States, the laws are archaic, antiquated, and the internet has really accelerated the exposure to which 
these laws are, are so dated. So, you know, five years ago, the general population, I think, was a little bit skittish about transacting online, except for very, very small dollar purchases. Maybe you bought a book on Amazon, and those sorts of things. But, but today, if you're a business that doesn't allow online transactions, you're almost guilty by association. It's amazing to see the types of items that are being purchased. Mark Cuban bought a plane on the internet. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so so people are they're buying artwork at, at seven figures. It's not uncommon to see these things wow. at all transact on the internet. And the wine is, is starting to find a mainstream audience in that capacity. And the direct-to-consumer market is nice because when you, you have five companies in the United States that control 80% of the store shelf, the restaurant wine list, the country club wine list, five companies. So that's not an open or free market. That's essentially a monopoly. And the consumers are actually a little bit tired of seeing the same wines when you walk into a BevMo, a Total Wines or more. And these are all great companies, don't get me wrong, but they all buy from the same distribution channel. Right. So it's, and this gets back to my opinion of, of making a lasting impression. You know, design your wine list around the members' desires, profile, needs, and wants and proclivities versus what your distributor portfolio says you should have. So yeah. I'm amazed at how quickly we can, and granted, I'm in the wine industry, I can quickly discern from a, a wine list how much effort has been put into the creation of that list just by seeing all the quote unquote usual suspects that are on the list. Sure. But the price, Direct-to-consumer market is that serves that market where the individual says, you know, I, I know there's 600 wineries in Napa that are producing less than 5,000 cases. 90-some-odd percent of them don't have distribution outside California, but I would like access to those wines. And Seller mm-hmm. Angels gives them that access. That's neat. So to me, it sounds like almost kind of like what's happened with the craft beer revolution, that that's, that's what's heading uh, for wine. And would that be a correct assumption? I think so. And it's funny because there's there's very, very small producers. I mean, we have featured some wines on the website that had as low a case production as 45 cases of wine. 45 cases of wine is not an economically smart move. Right. Unless you you're selling never it for $1,000 a bottle or something. Exactly. Well, you're right. You will not recoup the investment of that wine. However, you're making it because it's, you're passionate about it. You, at some point in time, got bit by the wine bug. And, and you want to make the singularly best expression of mountaintop Cabernet you possibly can. So you hire someone like an Aaron Pot and you plant great vines and you let them grow for 20 years and you make 45 cases. You're not going to find that wine at a store locally. Hmm. And, and so those sorts of things is, is really what's kind of driving that demand. And the craft beer market, you're right, same thing. It's okay that Budweiser is still probably, I think, the number one selling beer. And, but people do like their individual pale ale and their individual porter and coming from a certain brewery and, and they're flocking to those brands. Yeah. Well, Budweiser snatching them all up too. I actually have a really good friend of mine who works for, they're called um, ZX Ventures in Manhattan. And it's actually an arm of InBev. And, and that's what they're, they're working on is they're promoting these, these really um, niche brands and they're buying them all up and they're doing an incredible job with it. So again, well, I think, I think you're right. I think that's, that's where the world's moving. Well, and it's spot on. That's a great comment because that happens in the wine industry too. And, and we talk with winemakers all the time. We have very deep domain in Napa and Sonoma. And it's hard when you see these, you know, Giragiste and these, these really, really small brands making 100, 200, 400 cases, but then they get a following. And then the folks like your friend come in and say, okay, wait a minute, this is amazing. We're going to take them off the map and, and we'll mm-hmm. give them. And it's hard not to have the winemaker or the owner or the vintner, you know, 
take that money. Sure. It, but it's that tough balancing act of being true to the purpose of why you got into this. But okay, someone is throwing $50 million at the company. <laughs> it's hard to say no. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about more about the mechanics of how Seller Angels works then, Martin. How do, how do clubs work with you guys? Uh, a couple of different ways. Clubs can work with us. We actually, we're 99.99% an online business. However, we several years ago, we got approached by a small club, as a matter of fact, in the Hamptons of New York. And we were just there last Friday for what we refer to as an, an unprecedented wine buying opportunity. It's our fourth year in a row. And four years, years ago, we decided to take the show on the road. So we actually go out and we create kind of, you know, this is that bikini car wash, right? That you talk about creating a, a, a lasting impression and the type of thing that is the most anticipated event of the year. And in my opinion, granted, Gabe, I, I might be biased. I think it's perhaps the greatest and most unique wine event a club can arrange for their more serious wine members. The Cellar Angels will fly into the club and we provide an unprecedented wine seminar because it's wines that the club can't get. They're not in distribution. Yeah. It's a sit-down guided tasting of, of five superlative wines from Napa Sonoma that are not distributed. We work with the chef to create small plate food pairings. Nice. And it's a two-hour two experience. And so far, I mean, it's been incredibly well-received. We have, we've got a couple open dates this year. We are already booked at Conway Farms, which is hosting the BMW Open Championship in September. We've already booked them for May of next year. But it, it really is something where if a club wants to reach out and say, hey, we're interested in, in hosting one of those events, they can reach out to me you know, at martinetcellarangels.com. And as I said, I think there's one date left in November, two dates in December, and, and January and February and March are wide open. So it, it's really fun to come into the country club and, and give them the opportunity to see these wines up close and, and also benefit charity at the same time. How are you finding the wines that you're featuring? It's, that's a great question. Given the, the density of wineries in Napa and Sonoma, it, it's fairly easy. We, we have very good brand equity in both those counties and regions. And people come to us. So they see the, the high touch and the caliber of the experience that we provide our members. And, and that includes things like personal phone calls from both us, the uh, company, but also we will arrange the winemaker to call a customer and talk about the wine that that customer just purchased. Because again, mm -hmm. it's all about the experience. Mm -hmm. And we'll do things, we'll, we'll do incentives that we, it's called an angel bonus offer. And so for every 12 bottles a person buys, which isn't a lot for a lot of these people that are serious wine folks. They buy Just a weekend for some guys out there, right? Exactly. <laughs> the good Friday night. Right. Uh, we'll have, we'll arrange a Skype session. Sometimes it's autographed bottles by the winemaker. Sometimes it's personal phone calls. They'll do private tours when those folks come out to the Valley. So when the wineries start hearing about the way we cater to our customers, those are the folks that they want to get in front of. And we're a conduit to that. So we're a company that they'd like to be associated with. Right. And you've got some great brands in, in Napa and Sonoma, specifically places like Zoetic Wines. Um, there's a great small winery called Modus Operandi, and, and Jason Moore, who's the winemaker there, is doing some incredible things. Uh, Webster Cellars, Nightbridge Wines, Visley, all these folks are all small production, often producing under 500 cases, but it's all hand-harvested, all hand-sorted, and the wines are just exceptional. So when and it's a very giving community and sharing community, which is one of the reasons why I like it. So a winery has a good experience. They tell other wineries, hey, go check out Cellar Angels. These guys yeah. really have, have it dialed in. What's a wine out there that people, that's kind of flying under the radar that people should know about and maybe should be on some more uh, wine lists at some of our private clubs around the country? I would probably put 
there's a couple of them. I would say Jack's Vineyards and Jack's has two brands. Their estate fruit type of stuff is incredible. And, and we just actually, the GM and CEO of Jack's was with us at the private country club in New York last week. And so we, we kind of twisted things up or changed the pace a little bit. And we had him come out. So his Chardonnay is from Dutton Ranch and his vineyard block at Dutton Ranch is right next to the vineyard block of Kistler is right next to the vineyard block on the other side of David Ramey. So you can buy both of those Chardonnays at twice the price of his Chardonnay. Oh, wow. And that's it's the basically the same soil and whatnot because it's right there. Same soil, same vineyard, same rootstock, same clone. Wow. I love that kind and of inside so, information. <laughs> exactly. And that's the type of stuff where, where we've got that in spades. I mean, we, we have it dialed in in that particular instance. And so I think Jack's Vineyards is one. Uh, Boyle McDonald is another one that makes just outstanding Cabernet and really great wines. Keller Estate is, is rock solid. Attune Wines is very, very good. And these are all under the radar. Many of them don't have distribution outside of California. Uh, but it, it is something that from a wine list perspective, it's tough, I think, for the F&B managers at country clubs because you do have to be unique. You do have to not just mail it in and pick the, the na- known names and stuff like that. So that takes a lot of time and effort. Right. And you guys kind of cut through that clutter for people and, and just make that an easier process, it sounds like. 100%. Everything, you, you talked about how the logistics of Cellar Angels and our, our website is always running. There's four wines on the site at any one point in time. A new wine comes on the site every single week and one goes off. So there's a finite period of time that you can purchase. We've got 10 or 15 charities right now that you get to pick from and everything represented from Gilda's Club to from a cancer standpoint. We have three military charities, which are very, very popular as our, our veterans come back from armed services and, and require assistance in a variety of different capacities. So Folds of Honor is a very big partner of ours. The Chris Kyle Foundation is a big partner of ours. The Illinois uh, Patriotic Education Fund, helping returning veterans get through school and those sorts of things. I mean, it really is kind of fun for us and gratifying that a person can buy great wine, check a box, and we can help a cause. Yeah. Well, I, I love this. Anytime you could tell that story, I mean, that, 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 that really amplifies the value there. And it sounds like you guys do a good job of doing that. If you've got one stop to make, you're in, you fly in or you drive up to Napa or Sonoma and you've got this. In fact, this did happen to me. So like me and my wife, we were in San Francisco and we're like, we only had a couple hours, like let's go to Napa and Sonoma. We got there around like four o'clock before everything was closing. So if you get to Napa, Sonoma, it's four o'clock, everything's closing. What's the one place you stop in and make sure that you hit? Well, it's interesting. I, I, and I've done that a hundred times and four o'clock is almost <laughs> kind of the bewitching hour. Right. <laughs> pretty you don't to want to make a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I think, and this is one that actually hasn't been on Seller Angels before, but it's one that I'm, I'm kind of partial to just because of the surroundings and the way they do things. But there's one right before you get into Napa called Domain Caneros. And it, it's, it has, it's 50% owned by Tattinger out of uh, Champagne. And they do sparkling wine, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay very, very well. Their estate is an incredible grand estate right there that you can sit out on the patio, have a sparkling sampler, you can have caviar, you can have a cheese tray. And you are sitting there at basically the southern tip of wine country looking at the vineyards and you are pinching yourself because you just can't believe it could get this good. And yet you're only at the gateway to the wine region. From there, I would probably venture up and, and either work with Cellar Angels to secure a private tasting at 530 at some place or really get into downtown Napa and, and go to one of the tasting areas there that represent, you know, they're, they're kind of 
tasting studios that, but they represent eight to 10 brands. Nice. So the okay. small, the small brands are kind of wine collectives, if you will. The small brands will get together, rent space because they don't have a winery. They're just sourcing great fruit or they've got access to great vineyards, but they need an outlet to get in front of the consumer. So Domain Caneros or any of the, uh, the wine sites in downtown Napa that have multiple brands, I think would be a great not miss thing to do if, you, if you're pressed for time. Awesome. That's, that's so cool. Martin, I really appreciate you coming on Private Club Radio and, and sharing your expertise with us. If people want to find out more about Cellar Angels and start working with you guys, how do they go about doing that? Uh, very easy. And then I'm going to give you something for this opportunity as well, but they can go to CellarAngels.com or any private country club, yacht club that wants to feature one of these on-site wine seminars and tastings. They can simply email me at martin at CellarAngels.com and we'll get in touch with them immediately. But if you're a GM right now and you've got three or four or five members that you know are wine people that you want to create a lasting impression and a memorable experience, I invite you to go to Cell Angels right now and purchase three or six bottles of wine. And I'll even give you a coupon code called PCR Gabe. Very cool. If you put in in PCR Gabe, we will pick up the ground shipping for you regardless of where you are in the United States. Ah, really nice. PCR Gabe. Use the coupon code PCR Gabe and you'll over at Seller Angels and get free shipping. That's super cool. Thank you so much, Martin. Our pleasure. It's all about, uh, and wine is a great beverage that brings people together much like golf. So anytime I can combine these two, we're happy to do it. Fantastic. Martin, thank you so much. And I hope to have you back on here again. Maybe we can talk some, about some trends here uh, next season and, and find out what some of those new wines that are going to be hitting the market might be. You got it. I'd be happy to. And Gabe, thanks so much for the opportunity and hopefully our paths cross soon. And now it's time for Club Perspectives, presented by the National Club Association. I'm joined today by Kevin Vitale. He is the board chair of the National Club Association. He's also the general manager of Baltusrol. Kevin, my first question for you today it's got to be quite an honor to serve as board chair of the NCA. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, Gabe. Uh, I've been involved with the National Club Association for about eight years now. Um, started on the foundation and then went on to the board um, and um, then started my way up um, uh, as the officers, uh, starting with secretary, going to treasurer, the vice chair, and now uh, chairman uh, of the National Club Association. And it's just been a great experience. Uh, the National Club Association is really the association that uh, protects and supports the private club industry. Uh, and it's just been great over the years to get involved and um, network with um, senior leaders of the industry and also um, some of the greatest uh, talent, whether it's been in the consulting field or, quite frankly, uh, members of clubs, um, presidents of clubs. So it's just been a great experience, and it's been a great time to be involved with all the regulating uh, that's been going on in in Washington and uh, really strategically uh, figuring out how clubs can react to some of that. Yeah, I can imagine it is. So tell us a little bit about the vision that you have for the NCA during your tenure as president, Kevin. Well, there's no question that uh, we want to engage more in advocacy. We want to be uh, engaged more on the Hill. Uh, We want to increase our lobbying effort. Uh, And the reason for that is that uh, how Washington has been working over the last eight to 10 years 
is really through executive orders. Um, and uh, even though we aren't the target of many of those regulations, uh, we can be somebody that's affected by that. Uh, so we feel that the National Club Association needs to have a, a stronger representation uh, and that what we've been doing is making sure that our members, the club, uh, private club uh, in general, is more aware of it. Uh, so we've really ramped up our efforts to be engaged more uh, and make sure we protect the clubs uh, through that through this process. Yeah, absolutely. What can you go into a little bit more detail about those plans that you and the you and the board have for this year and and, and moving forward into the future of the NCA? Well, what we're doing is making sure, first of all, that the private clubs uh, of this um, country are aware on how we can help them and represent them uh, for that. Uh, we're the only association in this industry that has a lobbyist uh, that goes on the hill uh, regularly. Uh, that keeps us informed on uh, the things that are happening. Also, that uh, what's happening at, at the state level too, uh, because there's a, depending on what region of the country that you're in, uh, there's a lot of activity for that. So one is first of all um, help educate. What what are these um, uh, regulations? Uh, what are, what are these? Um, uh, things mean uh, to us, meaning the private club. So helping private clubs understand, here's what this really says, and here's what uh, could possibly happen on it, and then making sure we communicate that. Uh, what we're not trying to do is uh, letting clubs know, here's exactly what you need to do. Uh, and the reason for that, Gabe, is sometimes um, uh, what that means to a Southern club, to a Northern club, could be two different things. Sure. Uh, for that. Uh, but it's important that we get the message out of that this is what's happening. Uh, and then all um, because there's over 5,000 private clubs in this country, uh, and of course it's a major industry, uh, that we need their support as well uh, to help engage in this. And um, so we've made this a initiative probably about two years ago, and it has uh, increased dramatically um, uh, on the support that we're getting from private clubs and making sure that uh, we have a strong lobbyist program going forward. Very nice. Kevin, if you could wave a magic wand in Washington, what would you like to see happen? <laughs> you know what? Um, country come first. Uh, I would um, uh, really like to uh, see both the Republicans and the Democrats um, a little less about party and a little bit more about what needs to happen for the best of the country. I'd like the left to come a little to the middle, and I'd like the right to come to a little bit of the middle. Um, and um, again, uh, I don't think they um, look at anything, and uh, first reaction is, okay, what's best for the country? I think it's, okay, who put the bill in? Was it a Democratic bill or was it a Republican bill? Right. And they just stay on party lines. That's true. It happens a lot. Are there any particular issues that you've got a pulse on or that you're keeping an eye on there in Washington? Well, you know what? Uh, the Department of Labor overtime rule um, uh, that uh, they are changing. Uh, in the Obama administration, it was going to be a challenge how to manage and run our operations with the language with, that was put in there. Uh, there, uh, that bill was killed. However, it will be coming back onto uh, the docket uh, with some major adjustments. Um, so we're, we're certainly looking at that. Of course, healthcare is a big issue with everyone. 
Uh, and uh, what actually is going to end up with that, it's very difficult to uh, speculate, but also it's extremely challenging to say that it's uh, fundable at this point. Um, so something's going to have to give, and it'll be interesting to see where um, uh, we end up in, in healthcare, which affects the entire country, just not mm-hmm. private clubs. Right. Uh, but uh, it does affect clubs. Uh, we, we do, uh, as, as private clubs, uh, provide those things to our uh, employees, um, and we want to make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, we just like to have a better understanding what's coming up the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk golf, having you as the general manager of Baltus Roll on, Kevin. The last major of the year, the PGA Championship's coming up shortly, and you just hosted this event last year. Any advice for managers out there for when the PGA comes to town or a major comes to town at your club? Well, take your blood pressure every day. Uh, <laughs> make, make sure you're, you're okay there. Uh, you know what, uh, Gabe? Um, and I've already talked to Tom down in um, Quail Hollow. Uh, make sure you spend a little time to see it. Uh, you'll be amazed um, on um, because it's just such a uh, an overwhelming experience. Uh, because none of our clubs are built for this. We're not stadiums. Yeah. So when you have forty, fifty thousand people coming a day, uh, and literally they build a town uh, on your facility to to host this. Um, you know, it's a, uh, sunrise to sunset operation, um, that, um, requires a tremendous amount of energy from you and your staff and your members. Um, and, um, you know, the advice I'd give to, to everybody is just take a little time during the day to see what's happening, uh, because it's sometimes once in a lifetime, uh, I've had the pleasure of hosting two, um, on it. And, um, so just experience a little bit because it's if you allow that to happen you'll find that you're probably going to get experiences of a lifetime uh, whether it's just engaging with some of the uh, professionals um, that you you can engage with or it's just something that's happened there that could be special i think that's great advice just in general and in life and and not only just you know when major championships come to town, but to really appreciate you know where you're at and and, and what's happening. That's just some great advice there, Kevin. You've hosted seven U.S. Opens, so what is it about Baltus Roll that makes it such an ideal venue for that championship? Well, you know, Gabe, I I, I get asked that um, quite often, and I can tell you there there's a, a, probably a half a dozen to maybe maybe a dozen clubs in the country that have that mystique that just have that aura. Uh, and fortunately, we're one of them. Uh, we've hosted more majors than any other club in the country. Uh, it's us in Oakmont. Uh, so having that tradition and that history, uh, you can't buy that. It just comes um, about uh, on that. And um, so just we're one of those clubs at Baltusrol that just uh, has that. Uh, and it's our brand. Yeah. And for is there, us... Is there a way that you like nurture that, Kevin? Oh, God, yeah. Everything we do starts off with our brand. So everything that we do, whether it's our strategic planning, our master planning, um, our services, our capital improvements, uh, the first thing we look at is, does it fit our brand? Uh, And we we clearly know what our brand is. I know a lot of clubs struggle with that. uh, But that is foremost. Look, we started in 1895. 
Um, and um, so we know uh, what uh, the leadership of this club did before us. Uh, we know what we need to do now uh, to set up uh, the future leadership. Uh, and we take that very, very seriously. Any advice for clubs out there who are trying to build that mystique or that brand? You know, uh, set that up uh, that you can be successful. Uh, I see many clubs that um, set up their strategic plans or set up their mission statement. Uh, it's something that they may may not be able to obtain. Um, and then it's, you know, you're dead in the water before you start. Uh, so you really have to evaluate uh, what type of club you are and just make you the best type of club you can be. Uh, but you really have to dig down and deep and say, okay, what are we really, what, what, what is our brand um, and what are we good at? Um, you know, some clubs, it can be where the, we want to be the best club in the region uh, or we're going to want to be the best club in the uh, state. Um, but, you know, uh, very few clubs can, you know, our mission states, we're going to be one of the best clubs in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're able to achieve that. Uh, but that's because we've had the tradition and history to support it. Right. Um, you know, I know many club managers and club boards that do a great job because they stay within what they're good at and they're very, very good clubs and they get it. Uh, unfortunately, I see other clubs that keep on striving for something that it's going to be very challenging to achieve. And what happens at that point, Gabe, is they just get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the lesson there is to stay true to you, to yourself and to who you are. Kevin, last parting question for you. When folks look back at your brand, so your tenure and what you want to have as a lasting legacy, what do you want them to remember, Kevin? Well, I would tell you uh, that my goal uh, in my tenure of the NCA, and it's been my goal since I started it, is to, to make the National Club Association um, just a little bit stronger and a little bit more focused on what the National Club Association's uh, mission is. Uh, and it is really the, the association that supports clubs. Uh, the Club Managers Association supports managers. Uh, the PGA supports the pros. Uh, you know, the uh, golf course superintendents report, uh, supports them. This is the uh, association that really protects and supports clubs. And my goal in my tenure is just to make that a, a stronger emphasis um, and really something where the private club says, boy, the National Club Association really looks after us. Uh, and that would be my goal. Well said, Kevin. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And I invite our listeners to check out the National Club Association at nationalclub.org. See about all the education and initiatives they're doing over there. Kevin, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Gabe, have a great day. To learn more about the National Club Association, please visit nationalclub.org. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of The Messengers. Let me know about it. I'll pop that DVD in the mail to you. And maybe I'll even get the filmmakers to sign it for you. They live here in Tampa. I can make that happen. I'll catch you back here next week. And until then, here's to your membership success.